Welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast, bringing you juicy convos with thought leaders discussing the wild world of parenting. We think that we need to have millions of dollars to be able to invest to then become financially free, right? That is not how people become financially free. It's all about consistency. But there's so many behavioral issues that we struggle with that have to be identified first so that you can even start this process in your goal to achieve financial freedom. That clip was from our guest of the show today, Mikey Taylor. I'm Jason Berlin, the host of the Elevate the Vibe podcast. And with me is my co-host, the beautiful, wonderful, scrum trelescent Katie Berlin. Keep keep going. Uh, magnanimous, <laughs> youthful, vibrant, flowing. Uh, all right, that's all I got. All right, well, I like all of those. Hello, Vibe Hive. Today, we have an incredible guest for you. As Jason mentioned, we have Mikey Taylor. Mikey is the founder of Commune Capital, but before his stint into real estate investing, Mikey was a professional skater. And just like many professions in extreme sports, there's not always a lot of longevity in that arena. And Mikey realized that outside of skating, he needed to parlay his skill sets into an opportunity that would create financial freedom for himself and future generations. There can be a lot of stigma around money and wealth. And this interview was amazing because Mikey really breaks down some of his techniques that he uses with his children to help guide them through their paths to financial freedom as well. Not just his path, but you know, how do you bestow a positive outlook on something like money that can be very divisive, but it can be just a powerful, positive tool at the end of the day. And what I love about Mikey's story is that he shares how his parents laid the foundation for him in the financial process. And it's not necessarily that he came from extreme wealth, but it was more about their mindset and financial freedom and the ability to manifest the life of your dreams can really come from your mindset. And he begins to hammer this home. And those teachings, in addition to mindset plus hard work, are what Mikey attributes his success to. So Mikey Taylor is a professional skater turned real estate investor. From a young age, he understood that perseverance, grit, and mindset were keys to creating the life he desired. Investing in real estate has been a major piece of the puzzle for Mikey, who's retired from skating and is the president of Commune Capital. His faith in the power to believe in yourself, coupled with hard work, inspires him to share his wisdom with future generations. Let's welcome Mikey to the show. Mikey Taylor, welcome to the Elevate the Vibe podcast. Would you please introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, so my name is Mikey Taylor. Um, I, I, at least from a career standpoint, I started as a pro skateboarder. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, have a passion that I absolutely loved turn into a career. So that was a huge blessing. Uh, the challenge is I picked something that didn't have a long lifespan. So I had to figure out uh, how to retire and reinvent myself at an age in which most people are just getting started uh, in their path. Uh, from there, uh, I went through a mild identity crisis uh, to truly find uh, my purpose. And, uh, and you know, in the last three years, it's relatively new for me. The last three years is when I 
uh, stepped out of professionally skateboarding. And now uh, I started and run a company called Commune, uh, and it's a community of investors, pretty much a bunch of people uh, with the belief that we are stronger together and we could get our money to work in opportunities that we couldn't individually own ourselves uh, with a goal to achieve financial freedom. We all want the choice to, uh, we want the choice to work. We don't want to be told we have to work. And uh, that is, uh, that's what I do now. And, and the reason I do it is in skateboarding, uh, we didn't make a ton of money. Um, we made an okay amount and I really had to figure out how to become financially free uh, within a 13, 14 year window. So it was a lot of the things that I learned uh, through that career. Uh, I apply now and try to show and teach as many people as possible. How did you get started in skating? Do you have any like athletic older brothers, older sisters? Was your dad like a weightlifter? Uh, <laughs> was your mom an aerobics instructor? Like <laughs> what went on there to get you going? So uh, family wise, I come from a very creative family. Uh, dad's a photographer. Mom was an artist. Uncle was an artist. Uh, it, it, my other uncle's a photographer. It's, it, they, my family sees the world differently and I always felt like I miss that. <laughs> um, but I, I am creative, just not, not in, uh, I think the traditional sense, which they are. Um, as far as getting into skating, uh, I saw one of the cool kids, uh, he was riding a skateboard and it was at an age where I wanted to be cool and I wanted to fit in. So, uh, I convinced my mom to get me a skateboard and, uh, it, what I wasn't prepared for is it just took over. It was like the cool kid only skated for three or four months and then he stopped and I was still so obsessed with it that that kind of became my identity in a sense. Um, I have a younger brother, have a younger sister. Uh, my younger brother got into skating with me, uh, became really good at it as well. Uh, and then my sister, like again, graphic designer, like super artist. Um, but but she's pretty athletic well, surfs really well, never got into skating. Um, but I think, like, I'm not, I don't come from, like, the super athlete family. I come from a family that's uh, more obsessive. I think that that was kind of where my talent lied or, or what gave me the ability to get good at skateboarding is I just became obsessed with it. And I, it just, every second of every day I put into skateboarding. So it was just... I think that was the key more than like special genes, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're the oldest and you're sort of paving the way for your siblings and your parents who come from creative backgrounds as a photographer and as an artist, they sort of see that you latched onto this. Were they supportive at first or were they like, oh, it's a phase? Um, they were supportive at first. Uh, they started becoming concerned when, uh, I started getting a little bit older and, you know, I, I was 16 and my parents were like, Hey, you need to get a job. And, you know, I didn't want to work yet. So that was kind of the first red flag and then uh, graduated high school and I didn't want to go to college because I wanted to keep skating. And then that was a big red flag. So uh, they, they were encouraging uh, until the point where they became concerned. Uh, and then they ended up circling back around and becoming encouraging again, once they kind of, uh, were able to grasp what was happening. And how, as a young athlete, as you're moving through, really where did that transition happen where you realized, like, this is more than a passion, this could actually be a career, and I'm going to stick with it and make it happen? Um, so 
the beginning stages, it was, I just didn't want to work, right? My parents wanted me to get a job. My way around getting a job was trying to convince sponsors to give me free product. So it, it all began like this. I was like, hey, mom, dad, what if I get these companies to give me free shirts, free shoes, free skateboards? I won't have to pay for anything. And like, if there is stuff that I need to buy, I'll just sell some of this new stuff. Like, is that enough? And I think they thought it was so crazy that they were like, yeah, if you set out to do that, then okay. So I ended up, you know, pretty much hustling these companies and giving free stuff. <laughs> and then what happened is when I got close to graduating, I started getting photos in the magazines from these sponsors. Uh, and one of my sponsors wanted me to start traveling to Europe with them. So the opportunity kind of started to present itself. The challenge was skateboarding was really small back then. So uh, you just couldn't really make any money at it. And, and that, that kind of added on to the idea, especially at that age, that if you didn't go to college, you couldn't make money. Like, I, I truly believe that. That was the scary part, that if I didn't go to college, I couldn't even get in the door to a job that would pay me the life that I kind of always envisioned for myself. Uh, so there was a concern there for me, too. I, I won't just say it was just on my parents. Uh, the original idea that... Uh, I think I was telling myself, regardless if I believed it or not, was I'll just do it for a few years and then I'll go back to school and then I'll go get my degree and then I'll go get a normal job and blah, 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 blah. Uh, at that point is when Tony Hawk kind of the Tony Hawk game exploded and all of a sudden oh. skateboarding kind of became mainstream. And you started seeing guys in which I thought was a lot of money, but start making a lot of money. So when that happened for me, you know, I went from. I think I was making like 1100 bucks a month, 1000 bucks a month. And then like all of a sudden it was like, I'm making 100 grand a year and I'm 20 years old. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like I, I, I could do this, you know? And, and then I uh, had to figure out what that really meant and how I really truly could do it. Um, but it was probably around 1920 is when I thought I could make it a career. Yeah, because we're from that generation where we believed that all we needed was to earn a degree and we would be able to land some sort of job. I mean, the entire lines of communication were always, it really doesn't matter what you do, no. just get the degree mm -hmm. and you can get a job and, you know, have that sort of golden ticket to a cushy life. No one said what that job was going to be. They just said you could get a job, you know, just go to college, just get something and then you're going to get a foot in your door. Well, you know, I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to be like, yeah. you know, just an economics person. You know, I'm with yeah. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm from that. I'm from that uh, era as well. Go to college and work hard. You're going to be fine. Yeah, like the company will take care of you and you'll be able to, you know, see your way through to retirement and, you know, quote unquote, live after that. Mm -hmm. Like, right. you know, just work your butt off. And then when you retire, you get to live. I'm so from when that same generation. So when you're about 20 years old and you realize, okay, this is viable, it seems like you already had an entrepreneurial spirit. You're already thinking outside of the box in a way, even the way that you approached your parents about, hey, if these companies are willing to give me free product and then I turn around and sell it, is that, a, is that enough? Where you sort of still in the back of your mind had that little voice that said, if this isn't enough you know, I'll go down that traditional path, but like, at least let me give this a try. 
So then at what point with skating, I mean, you said you stopped about three years ago, but at what point were you like, wow, this is a career that I can actually have some longevity in? And then when did it sort of click where like, there's something else I want to do to set myself up for success after this as well? Okay, so there's a few answers to it. <laughs> so bear with me. Um, one, and the very first one was part of my parents feeling comfortable with me skateboarding uh, and kind of like an ultimatum that they gave me was, okay, if you're going to do this, you need to convince Randy and Randy is who managed my parents' money. You need to convince Randy to help you so that you can be in a good position, right? And so uh, I, I think I'm 19 at this point. I, I have this meeting with Randy. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm a pro skateboarder. I, I guess I need to retire when this is over. Can you help me? And, uh, you know, he's like, okay, cool. How can you, how long can you skate for? And I was like, I have no idea. And he's like, okay, well, how much can you make? I was like, well, I'm making this now. And he's like, okay, this is going to be tough. But anyway, what he started doing is he started teaching me in the beginning, it was just basically financial literacy. It was the fundamental, the fundamentals of money so that I could even put myself in a position to invest. And then he started working with me on what to invest in to essentially put myself in a better place. So it started there. Uh, it led to the point of me thinking about how to, how to use my influence to create something that went beyond skateboarding. That happened for my wife, truthfully, when we were dating. Uh, you know, she was like, look, it, it's amazing how like focused and determined and dedicated you are to skateboarding. And you don't need to figure it out right now, but I want you to think of ways that you can take this thing you have and bring it to the next level. Like just, just, just kind of put it in the back of your, your mind. And I was like, okay, cool. And then the next day or like a week later, uh, one of my friends who's a photographer, uh, we had this conversation. Of course I'm, I'm the obsessive personality. I'm like, Ativa. So like, dude, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to start a company? Like, how are we going to make it out of this thing? <laughs> and it just started this process for me. Uh, which then led to the idea that I could create my own brands and use my influence to build them. And then once I'm no longer relevant, well, I still get to participate in everything I helped build. So what I knew I was good at, I, was, I, I knew I was good at building other people's brands. I knew the idea of marketing, the idea of uh, being good at something, resonating with your audience, translated in bigger business for them. I just needed a piece of the pie. So that's when I like kind of began uh, the, I would say, path of starting my own companies. Um, I still didn't think I was an entrepreneur, though. That, that's the funniest part. It was like, looking back, I go, wow, I actually kind of had this at a young age. But the way I looked at it is no one's going to hire me because I didn't go to college that I'm forced to just do it myself. That, that's all I thought. It wasn't like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. It's just like, I have no other choice. And then as I got older, I was like, well, maybe that was like the perfect blend of like, I had a little bit in it when I was young. The idea that my back's against the wall and this is the only way out led to, I think, something being pretty cool. I mean, there's so many people that are gifted, not just gifted. I mean, you have to work on it with some sort of talent, but they don't see it through to that place. Like mm. they just can't figure out quite how to leverage it to take mm -hmm. it beyond their immediate scope or their immediate network and begin to broadcast and sort of share it in another way with the world. And there's mm -hmm. so many people that 
have incredible influence, but it just sort of dies with whatever their initial specialty is. Yeah. 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 Well, with, with the transition from skating into building your own brands, what were some of the first places that you started to dabble? Um, so what's interesting is the transition, when I transitioned out of skateboarding, I had already started five companies and we had already sold one. And I still talk about the transition. And the reason I say that is even though I was starting companies, I still identified as skater. That was like, I'm a skater. And, and so I started companies while I was still skating and the re there was two components of it. One, I was still relevant Two, I made an income skating. So I could start companies and not have to pay myself to do them, uh, bring on a team and kind of use my talents to help grow those. Once skateboarding all the way ended, then it was like, okay, not only am I all in on this thing, but I had to work through the identity part. That, that, that's why I say that the, the three years is something that's new. But the, the first company that like really, really did well was a company called St. Archer. Um, it was a brewery that we did in San Diego. We started it in 2011, uh, and then we ended up selling it in 2015 to Miller Coors. So skateboarding didn't end for like two years after that, and I wasn't planning on it. My whole plan was like, uh, yeah, we're going to have St. Archer for a long time. I was going to quit skate, not quit skateboarding, but my career was going to end, and then I'd move into full-time at St. Archer, and the timing just didn't work out. It was like the company sold, which is a blessing. I don't want to say it negatively, but company sold and I was still skating. And then, you know, then I had to work through, oh, okay, I'm not a pro skateboarder. What does my life look like now? You know? I think that a lot of athletes find themselves now working with agents. I see a lot more of this on social where they'll come into a decent amount of money from whatever contract they sign. And they're looking for those deals with CPG companies to either invest their money in like a certain brand or uh, a certain service or product that will help them to leverage outside of just what they're in. And it's, I don't think it's just for their name, but it's also like a business acumen process. Like you're just gaining so much knowledge in the business world about how to run. And like, ultimately your, your company was acquired. You didn't anticipate that you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to have this company for a long time. And then it's like, Oh, Oh crap. There's, you know, a, offer at the door that you don't really want to turn down. So you're like, okay, yeah. well now what? Yeah, and I right. think like a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves in that place where you just have this really strong desire to continue to create and proliferate your skills through these different touch points. But then it's like, okay, well this business sold. So now what am I going to do? And yeah. now, you know, now where, where do I go? But also on top of that too, what you mentioned and I think a lot of people go through this is the identity piece also. Like mm. Jason is a drummer and he's also an editor, like reality yeah. TV show editor, mm. but he'll always say that he's a drummer. He's like, well, I'm mm -hmm. a drummer. I'm a drummer, mm -hmm. you know? And, and it's just like, it's ingrained. If it's something that you've done since you were super young, no. it's a part of you. It's like literally in your blood, in your DNA. It's like, this is me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't exist without this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after the St. Archer, uh, all of that went down. Uh, where did you go from there with your other uh, business, you know, other business acquisitions, sort of startups? You want all of them? 
the good, the bad, the ugly? Or? Let's, let's have a list from Z to A. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so a after St. Archer, uh, I started a, well, so I rode for this company called Alien Workshop. It's a big skateboard company. Uh, they went out of business. Uh, I, I never thought I would own a skateboard company, but I looked and went, oh, my board company's out of business. I'll start a board company. So I started a skateboard company called Sovereign. Uh, from there, I started uh, working on Commune. Commune took a little bit of time to, uh, it took time to get everything in order because it was uh, just the, the level or the scale in which there was a lot of things I wasn't sure how they were going to work when I had the idea. So uh, basically, if you're looking at a timeline, St. Archer was 2015, uh, Sovereign was right after that, and then Commune, uh, March of 2017. So when we started really working on it. And with Commune, it's you and a couple other people have sort of banded together. So basically how it, so skateboarders, uh, we're not known to be able to retire after skateboarding. It, like that's not the normal, uh, evolution of our careers, right? Usually we call sponsors that once sponsored us and said, Hey, can we have a job? Like, what can we do? And so, uh, when my career ended, and, and I was kind of blindsided by it ending, it, it, it was like one phone call and it was over. Um, I found myself like in kind of like a very unique but really shitty feeling at the same time in, in which I didn't have to work, but it sucked because I wasn't the normal, right? Like I had this community of people that I was constantly around I identified with, and now I'm the one that looks very different than what all my friends have gone through and are going to continue to go through. And really, you know, I started going through this, like, it sounds so dumb saying it, but it was almost like survivor's guilt in a sense. Like, why am I here? Why, why am I in the situation and none of my friends are? Uh, and, and I started breaking down what I could attribute that to. And it really went all the way back to Randy. It was like I had some guy who came into my life that started teaching me about money that I didn't have any insight on that at all. And then I started getting access to deals that were exclusive. I had no idea deals were exclusive. I, I, I was naive to a sense of how this whole world works. And once it all kind of happened, I was like, OK, if it weren't for him, my path would have been the normal. And it's now not the normal. So how could I get as many people to where I'm at? And so that's where the kind of the idea started. And so when we did St. Archer, it was me and two of my friends. One was another pro skateboarder and one was a surf filmmaker. And none of us knew about business, really. We didn't know how to do a business plan. We didn't know how to raise money. We didn't know any of this. And Randy is who basically we went to and he helped us set everything up, helped us with our business plan, taught us how to pitch an investment basically prepared us for all the questions that were going to be asked at us, how we were going to respond, et cetera. So fast forward, when I had this idea of commune, uh, I brought it to him. And the reason I brought it to him is I wanted uh, investing to be a big component of it, but I wanted commercial real estate to be uh, the main vehicle. And so him and his group had uh, real estate funds that I would be investing with. So basically, I brought this business plan to him, this idea. I knew how to start a business. I knew how to launch a brand. I knew how to raise money. What I wasn't aware of is how a real estate fund worked because I wanted uh, real estate, specifically uh, commercial real estate, to be kind of the main investment vehicle 
and and Randy and his group uh, had real estate funds, and th those were a lot of the funds I was participating in. So I brought this whole thing to him. I was like, Randy, what do I need to know about an actual fund? How how do you manage a fund? What are the inner workings of it? Because I need to basically either learn it or or bring a team in to help me do this. And I thought he was going to say the same thing he said with St. Archer. This is what you do. This is how you do it. Boom, boom, boom. All right, go kill it. And uh, you know he didn't do that. He was like, well, let's set up a meeting next week. I was like, okay. And I, he set up a meeting next week, and uh, I come in, and it's him, his brother, uh, his dad. And I was like, what's up, guys? And, and basically, they wanted to have the conversation about doing this one together. So what, what was cool about this is the guy who came into my life at 19 because my parents were terrified that I didn't know anything about money helped me start my first business, ended up becoming a partner on, on Commune, uh, which has been really cool because really what I wanted to do was – was take everything he taught me and give it to as many people as possible. So that was kind of how the company started. And then from there, uh, I reached out to as many people as I possibly could uh, to be involved in our community, essentially. Yeah, and for anyone who's unfamiliar, not just with Commune, but sort of the presence that you have online now, a lot of what you're sharing is wisdom about smart ways to invest and mm -hmm. ways to set yourself up so that you're financially free. That's mm -hmm. really now like the direction and the voice that your brand is taking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really when you, you know, when you think about it, it's all the things that he told me that allowed me to get started. And, and I think that's the big misconception is we think that we need to make all this money and have millions of dollars to be able to invest to then become financially free. Right. That is not how people become financially free. It's all about consistency, right? But there's so many behavioral issues that we struggle with that have to be identified first so that you can even start this process in, in your goal to achieve financial freedom. And so uh, I kind of use that to like really show people like we can all do this. Like the idea that you have to be rich to not have to work is, is a hoax. So it's more wisdom. I think like that beyond anything, you can talk about the tools that you use. You could talk about real estate. You could talk about the stock market. There's tools, but the tools are in my eyes are only 10% of it. I think 90% of it comes from our actual behavior of spending or saving or what it takes to put money to work. And so I just kind of feel like that's more important um, or that's the bigger struggle, maybe I should say. So much of it is mindset and people will fight you tooth and nail on that. They really think like, no, it's like once I have this amount of money, then I can do these things. You can have that amount of money and you're still not going to do these things because your mindset and your habits and the way that yeah. your relationship is with money to this point and how are you going to continue that? It's like the curse of the lottery that you hear where people, they end up winning, but then they, they lose it all in a matter of a year or two. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. it, it, it's funny because we know this, like we know we have to learn to walk before we run, but yet we think we'll be responsible when we have a lot of money, even if we're not responsible when we have a little, it's such a, I don't know what it is about money, but we don't think logically when it comes to it. It's so emotional that we let that take the driver's seat, but Really, kind of what you just touched on, if you learn how to be responsible when you have a little, you're going to be responsible when you have a lot. But what 
usually happens is we start making more money and then we start spending more money. And then making more money doesn't mean anything because you're not taking any more to what we really all should be thriving for, at least on the financial side. And that's to become financially independent. It's like, who cares if you're making more? That I think that was the biggest, the, the biggest, uh, what would you call it? That, that was what was really eye-opening for me is once I started stepping into what I'm doing now with Commune, I'm speaking to a lot of people that make a lot of money, right? Like, remember skateboarder, like we, I, we, I never made millions skateboarding, I didn't make close to that, right? Like now I talk to people that make two, three, four, five million dollars a year. And I'm telling you right now, the majority of them don't know about money. It, it, it's like, it was the, the kind of the crazy experience, this crazy experience. I was like, oh yeah, if you know how to make it, you not, you must know how to generate wealth. That is not true. Like you just know how to make it. So the idea that, oh yeah, I'll just make a ton of money and then I'll get it to work. It just doesn't work that way. And you touched on something about the emotional aspect of it that I listened to that uh, video that's on your site with your dad. And you said that he gave you two really good pieces of advice, but also you learned from him that money is not emotional. Like he didn't have an emotional attachment to it. So you seeing that example gave you a perspective on, okay, well, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. It's it's not tied up in so much where I think he was sharing his parents were, uh, you know, products of the depression. So what he learned, he had to almost unlearn to then yeah. share with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, I think that as parents, I know for the two of us, like that's a big lesson that we want to be able to impart is we want to show that we are walking the walk and talking the talk of financial freedom and, and not only financial freedom, but if you have a desire to do something, like if you have a strong passion for something, pursue it and go for it because like, quote unquote, the money will come. And it's not even about that, but it's more about the mindset of when you do have money, how are you going to manage it and just enjoy your life, like enjoy what you do. And then we can teach the money piece. Like that's yeah. teachable, it's a mindset piece. That's right. I think there's two things I'm going to add to because you're totally right. Uh, one, my dad didn't uh, verbally teach me a lot when it came to money. He just he it, it was I just saw it right. Like when things would happen that you know weren't good financially, he wouldn't get wound up. He I never felt it. I saw a consistent feeling with him. Right. So remember, we see we don't hear. So that's something us as parents need to constantly be reminding ourselves of. Uh, the other thing is, remember what money is, right? Money is a tool, but money also accelerates our strengths or our weaknesses. So it's really going to show who you are as a person. Money just shows your character, right? So remember, working on character is what's going to teach our kids to not allow money to rule them. Because money, unfortunately, like it or not, is a part of all of our lives. We need it to survive, so how do we take something that's so necessary and not let it rule us? Because it so easily can happen. So uh, remember, you, you more than anything, you do want to teach them how to be successful. But what comes first is the responsibility to manage money in a healthy way. I mean, I know your children are young. 
but already do you have conversations in front of them or have you even started talking about that? I'd love to know like some of the practical applications of this. So right now, so my daughters are five and seven, so they're young still, right? So right now, all we're working on for them is teaching them how to work, put, how to put work towards something. So for us, uh, we have chores. They have to do chores. They're not paid for chores. They're not paid an allowance. These are, these are things that we all have to do as our family unit to kind of be part of helping out. Then when they need money, then we have a list of things that they could do to earn the money. And it at five, seven, eight, it doesn't have to be anything that makes sense. Like it, it could be, okay, I got a pile of, of rocks right there. I want you to take those rocks. And I want you to move them to the other side of the house. It, 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 there could be no okay. rhyme or reason. All we're trying to do is instill this idea of if I need money, I need to go out and do something. And then as they get older, you start working on more of the, you know, creating problems or creating solutions to problems and some of the more complex ideas of how to create. But right now they're too young for that. So what we're trying to avoid is this challenge that our generation has that we deserve everything given to us. Right. And so I think, I believe that when you just give somebody an allowance, when you pay for things for them, when everything's given to them, they don't have the mentality to go out and earn so first and foremost, I want them to know, know that. Uh, and then from there, you know, we'll start working on things like uh, we'll set up like a, I don't know, like a fake 401k or something, right? So we'll do like a piggy bank uh, and, you know, they'll put money into it and then we'll match their money for the amount of time they hold it in there. And really all we're trying to do there is teach delayed gratification, you know, really just like I, 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 I guess more than anything, what I want them to know is you need to work hard, but also, and, and they're too young for this, you can't just work hard. There's, there's, there's more value based on the challenge in front of you, right? So, so an example would be, I guess if you, there's a definition of money that I think is one of the greatest ones. It's a representation of your contribution to society. So the greater your contribution, the greater the reward. So I'll start teaching them that, but they're too young for it. So remember their stages to it. Um, and then, you know, we'll start working on giving. We'll start showing them the importance of, of helping others. And uh, it's funny, man, like I, I, my challenge is going to be getting ahead of myself, right? But really, I'm just trying to like instill these things that uh, really like my parents did. You know, it's like my dad taught me to work hard. There's it, My dad taught me that like I can sacrifice now for something greater down the road. So just trying to come up with creative ways to do that with your kids. Yeah, I think the delayed gratification piece is big for everyone. It's, I don't even know if it's so much of a generational or if it's more the speed at which we have access to everything now. Like, okay, Amazon Prime, it's here tomorrow. It's just like, we're used to getting everything like now. So being able to teach that like, okay, you know, we've talked about this even before we had a child, we, we thought like, okay, well, if they had a summer job, what if, you know, we, we had them, they, they bust their butt and then we match whatever they make during their summer job as like our contribution. We see what you've done. You know, we're, just, we were always just sort of thinking of ideas on like, how do we, how do mm -hmm. we hope to create that? Because 
we don't know what our financial situation will be in 10 or 15 years, but we hope that it's, we're in a place where, you know, we have complete financial freedom and maybe our child will grow up in a situation that we did not necessarily grow up in and they have access to so much more. It's like, you want to strive for that. You want to create that, but then you also need to figure out ways to balance it so that they really understand how fortunate they are and what it takes to get there. A hundred percent. And something that I think is important is, uh, and this doesn't really have anything like maybe specific to money, but how we talk to our kids, right? How we teach our kids to talk to themselves is massive. So like, you know, there's things we do, like my girls are young, so they're constantly saying, I can't, right? So every time I'm like trying to just beat it in their head, you can't yet, you can't yet, right? It's like, it's teaching this mindset that's that is instilling this idea that they can right like when they do something well we don't praise the end the end result we praise the work that went into it right so like you know my daughter is like really good at at art of course my parents right so she'll bring this mom dad look at this 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 drawing i just made we won't say oh my gosh you were so good at drawing we will say wow that is so awesome how much work you put into that that is incredible right so it's like remember you want to teach kids that they believe in themselves that they can go out and do whatever they want because what you're going to see is there's a lot of people that weren't given that as kids and they truly believe that if you have money you're lucky and they just they can never have it right yeah. and, and it, it it's heartbreaking to hear because it truly is the way in which you are looking at the opportunity in front of you, right? Like, you have you ever heard the stories of uh, Ben Carson? He's the uh, he yeah. ran for president. And he's like the HUD, HUD, right? Yeah. Uh, there's stories of his mom, and basically, she would always be, be always telling him, "Ben, you can do whatever you believe. You could do this. You could do this." And she would tell him, uh, or she would like read his uh, papers or something. I'm, I'm gonna box this story, but it'll it'll kind of make sense. <laughs> he would he would have his papers, and she would read them. She would pretend to read them because she didn't know how to read. But she would say, oh, my gosh, Ben, this is brilliant. You are going to be great. Didn't even know how to read. And what he becomes, I mean, he came from the hood. And now he's, like, doing things that I'll never do, you know. So remembering the importance of teaching your kids that they can, they can, they will. It's huge, you know. Yeah, it's such an important lesson, especially the not necessarily in the absolute, like you're such a good painter, you're such a good drawler, you're such a you're so good at this sport, or you're so good at this, but more of the, I love watching you do this, I see the work that you're putting into Mm -hmm. it, just even flipping that script where they don't necessarily think of it like, well, if I don't do it this way, then I'm not really good at it, or I'm not, I'm, I'm no longer good at this, if I don't do it how this person did it or at this level and that just yeah. parlays into your career and making money and parlays to a lot yeah yeah not just financial freedom as in the sense of dollars in your bank account but like the mental freedom that'll come from it so that you're not that person that says i i could never have money like that i could never do that those people were born into it and i just that's not going to be something that i have yeah that's right yeah well, I'd love for you to provide a key takeaway for the audience that you would want to leave them with. <sighs> um, 
this is something I said in that video you referred to that we made with my parents, uh, but I absolutely believe it. Uh, whatever you believe is possible is what's possible. So be very uh, cognitive of, of where that bar is because that bar can be adjusted. You just might have to seriously lie to yourself because what we don't realize is if we tell ourselves a lie enough, we end up believing it is true. So just lie to yourself that you could do. If you think the bar's here and you really don't think you can get here, just lie to yourself over and over. And sure enough, you're going to get there. So uh, just be be really uh, be really uh, clear on how you're talking to yourself. Is that we don't put enough value in what we really can accomplish. That's awesome, man. And is are there any resources, favorite resources that you have? They can be parenting. They can be related to money. Just something that you would want to share with the audience. Oh man, podcast um, book. Okay, so I would say books that I've read that have been really good. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad was like one that my dad made me read. Uh, then my my wife made me read it uh, when we were dating. Uh, that was a really good one. Um, financial books, I would say Think and Grow Rich, Richest Man in Babylon were all really good ones. Uh, a book I'm reading right now is uh, The 12, 12 Keys to Life. It's Jordan Peterson's book, okay. um, which is which so far is really good. But truthfully, and like I, I don't even want to uh, make it like a religious thing, but the majority of like good information that I uh, put into my life is from the Bible. I, I actually read the Bible a lot. So like financially, like that's it. Money is talked about more in the Bible than any other topic. So uh, yeah. that's a, that's actually, believe it or not, a really good source as well. I've heard so many people reference how the, um, I, I don't know what the appropriate term is, but just to describe everyone, but almost like all of the characters, like everyone mm. that's present are at a financial level that would make modern day millionaires look like just everyday people. Like they have just this insane abundance. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You have like, right. Regardless if you're religious or not, you have this, this book that arguably transformed the entire world. Right. And it's all about living a better life, right. Living a life. That's not about you, basically someone that's bigger than yourself. And they talk about money more than anything else in it. Why? Well, that could be arguably the thing that is the most challenging for us. So the seriously, the information when it comes to money is uh, I, I use it a lot. A lot of the principles we talk about came from there. So You're like, it's a uh, like Randy and the Bible. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And now it's raining. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? So now it's raining frankincense and myrrh all over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, also, we want you to be able to share with the audience where everyone can find you, where they can learn more, not only about you, but also your business. Um, okay, so the easiest way is probably Instagram. Uh, it's just my name, Mikey Taylor. You could pretty much find everything else through there. But I just got this. Uh, I just started this text group. So I mean, if anybody wants to be a part of it, but I haven't memorized the number yet, it's brand new. Uh, you could text me 805-953-8938. Um, that is becoming actually my favorite way to communicate with people. Um, it's just a different experience when you actually get a text as opposed to a DM. Um, but it, 
really, if you get to my uh, Instagram, you could find my number there. You could find all our companies. Uh, we can make it happen. <laughs> and you're, I mean, you're super active on there. Like if, you know, if someone comments, you're commenting back. It's not just like you, you know, you're very active with community. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I spend a lot of time. I, I block out a lot of time to do it. One thing that I have fallen back on uh, is DMs. If you're going to DM me, I will get to you. Just be patient. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not being efficient on, uh, I just don't have a, enough time yet dedicated to get through everybody right as they send, but uh, I will get to you. Uh, and the text piece too, for anybody that thinks like maybe they just be signing up for some sort of like random messages. That's how I reached out to you initially. So and okay, you yeah. to me and that's how we set up this interview. So it's, okay. it's like, yes, it's real. It works. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah. I get that one a lot because basically for those who don't know, uh, it, it's an app that, uh, with the, with the cell phone networks, they don't allow you to send, uh, texts or mass texts out to people. So, uh, there's a company community that has done a deal with all the phone providers that allows us to do it. So basically uh, how it's used, I send like a group text out every Monday and then I individually respi uh, reply to everybody, but you have to opt in. So I think the fact that you have to opt in, people go, oh gosh, this is just like a bot messenger or something fake. Uh, but no, it, it, that's been the coolest thing is actually texting awesome. people back and you know, they go, they go, this isn't you. And you send them a picture, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm actually talking to you. So it's been a pretty like, good experience. Delete that one. But, I didn't mean to send that one. But you also <laughs> yeah. train the bot to find some awesome, like, candid shot of you at your house to, like, auto <laughs> send to them at a perfect time. You know what's so funny? A couple people have actually uh, had me write something like, hey, if this is really you, write Frank 147. And so, like, I'll write it. And they're like, I can't believe it. <laughs> People are great, man. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yes, Mikey, thank you so much. I loved the knowledge and the wisdom that you shared with us. It's really awesome to see and hear about your journey. And I look forward to continuing to follow the, you know, the commune path and see where it takes you. Because I think that if anybody doesn't follow you, the knowledge that you share I mean, through Instagram specifically, is so valuable. And as parents that are trying to do the best we can, I mean, not just what you shared with us here, but just that everyday like bit of knowledge, it does begin to change your mindset. And that's so important for the generations that are following in our footsteps. Yep. Thank you, guys. I, 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 I'm humbled and appreciate uh, the encouragement and glad you're, you're in this journey with me. <laughs> yes, yes. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. And thanks for helping us elevate the vibe. Yes. Of course. It was my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Take care, Mikey. Hey there, Vibe Hive babes. If this podcast has brought you any value, please rate and review on your favorite listening platform. And if you're feeling really generous, share with a friend. Visit us at elevatethevibe.co for show notes on this episode and previous episodes. This podcast is intended to educate, entertain, and inspire. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions you may have. And as always, thank you for joining us to Elevate the Vibe.